This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff. This is my third show on the Rainier Avenue Radio Network, where we are hitting on various sports policy issues. Today, on the third edition of my show, we have a terrific guest. We have former University of Washington football star, NFL player, Greg Lewis. I've had the opportunity to get to know Greg the last couple of years as a friend, and there's a lot more about Greg that goes way beyond football. I will share with the listeners that as a Generation X sports fan growing up in the Seattle area, Greg is one of those athletes of a generation in Seattle. I don't think there's any Generation X sports fan who grew up in Seattle who doesn't know the name Greg Lewis. <laughs> so Greg is one of those athletes that reflects a particular era. So you're definitely a Seattle Generation X guy, no doubt about it. Greg, I before we get going and I ask you some various questions. We're going to be hitting heavily on the policy aspects of sports today. But I want to go through a little resume of Greg Lewis, because there's a lot more I learned about you in a little pre-show research. Okay. Although I've known you for a couple of years, I, I learned more the last, the last couple of days. And I, and I don't have time to go through all your accomplishments, but I want to mention a few of the listeners. Father, grandfather, husband, youth coach, Ingram High School, 1987 graduate, sports star, member of the Seattle Public Schools Athletic Hall of Fame, University of Washington football star, captain of the 1991 Rose Bowl team, first team all Pac-10 1990, Pac-10 Offensive Player of the Year, Greg finished seventh in the Heisman Trophy vote in 1990, University of Washington Hall of Fame member, and here's something else. Greg was a winner of the Pac-10 medal for academic and athletic excellence as well. Greg was a fifth-round draft pick of the Denver Broncos in 1991. Greg's NFL career was cut short because of an injury, but Greg did have 600-plus yards and eight touchdowns in his NFL career, not too shabby. <laughs> Greg has worked as a special assistant to the University of Washington Athletic Director. Greg has been a, worked for several years as Senior Director of Advancement of Minority Affairs at the University of Washington. Greg has worked in the private sector. Greg has worked in nonprofit and philanthropy. Greg is currently the director of the Meredith Matthews East YMCA in Seattle. Greg has also had a formidable broadcasting career, and he is currently a Como 1000 AM Husky football pregame commentator. Do we call you Forrest Gump? I mean, <laughs> well, you've done a little everything. I think with all that stuff, you just called me old. It sounds like I've been around for a real long time. Uh, when well, you have actually, that long. it's funny you say that because my next question is, for a guy who's not even 50 years old, you've seen a lot of things. Can you share with us for a minute how football has prepared you anyway for some other events in your life? Well, I think for me, uh, football and sports in general uh, has a lot of impact on young people. It sort of prepares you for life in a lot of ways. Um, it gives you an opportunity to set goals, face challenges, accomplish things, uh, achieve things, but also learn how to work along with others on teams. And also, you know, when the going gets tough, you know, to persevere and push through. And in my time through business and through my professional career in football getting hurt I've had obstacles and challenges that I've had to face and times where I've had to regroup and reset my goals and uh, strive and persevere for other things and uh, I think being an athlete and having played football in particular because we know football is the greatest sport there is and it presents some of the hardest challenges it's given me an opportunity to take those things in stride and still continue to stay focused and achieve things in life so I'm really uh, proud 
proud of the fact and happy that I've had the opportunity to play football at the highest levels. Greg, we're going to be hitting, uh, as I told you off the uh, round robin of topics today, sure. and we could spend the whole 27-minute show focusing on one topic. We're going to be doing a big round robin today. Okay. Greg, you were a highly recruited uh, Ingram High School football player. I remember mm-hmm. Steve Kelly back in 1987, the Seattle Times Sports section, did a, did a story about your decision to select the University of Washington over Stanford. That was a big Seattle news story 30 years ago. Tell, tell me a little, bit, a little bit about the recruiting process and how it's changed the last 30 years. Well, back then, you didn't really even start the recruiting process till your senior year. You know, teams looked at you your junior year, kind of put kids on a list that they were interested in, and then they followed your senior year. And somewhere near the end of that senior year, they would offer you the opportunity to come play, and then you would go on recruiting visits after your season. Now you have kids being recruited from the ages of sixth grade on, and and getting opportunities to, to uh, commit to a school, 8th, ninth, 10th grade, um, going on what they call the unofficial visits as early as their freshman year. Um, and kids are visible a lot earlier because of the Internet and all that stuff. And now you have these recruiting sites that are part of the whole deal. Uh, Much so more transparent in many ways, too, right? It's it's It may be more transparent, but I think uh, more people are involved now. Whenever more people get involved in something, there's opportunity for stuff to you know kind of go sideways of a little course. bit and, and influences to be outside of that school and that family. So I think you know to that degree, it's a little more difficult. It's probably a little better for coaches in one way. They get to see kids a lot longer and have more tape visibility, but it's also worse because now they're having to make uh, offers a lot earlier before someone else offers that kid maybe before they really see the finished product. Interesting. So I think that's a, probably a complication. This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff with Greg Lewis. Greg, the UCLA quarterback Josh Rosen made some controversial comments recently, and I'm paraphrasing here. Mm-hmm. I won't read the full quote, but he basically said that football and school do not go together. He said that playing college football and going to school is like having two jobs. Rosen also made comments that universities could do a lot more than just keeping a lot of these kids eligible. What are your general thoughts what Rosen said? I know he, I know he had a lot of comments, but give me a quick summary. I disagree of with a lot of it. Um, one, I played four years at an all-conference level. I got my degree in four years, and I didn't do it just scaping by, and I didn't just remain eligible. And it wasn't like I had to really put forth this Herculean effort. All I had to do was go to class every day, study, and then uh, pass the exams. As a football player, you may have six row games a year. Of those six row games, you're going to fly out on a Friday, and then you're going to come back Saturday. So you miss one day of school at most six times a year. So how does that keep you from really you know, being successful So you believe playing college football and attending college do go together? I believe that absolutely. And I think it, football gives a lot of kids who may not have had the financial ability, and maybe they weren't 100% at the level of most kids entering college, but they get that opportunity, and most of them make the most of it. And the University of Washington is committed, just like most schools, into academic achievement for student-athletes. matter of fact, a lot of people may not know this, but the University of Washington had the very first academic student services for athletes in the country. I did know that. Isn't yeah. that something? But do you, do you think, Greg, that there might be some situations where, say, a college football player wants to, say, go the pre-med route, but he can't because of football practices and scheduling. Yeah, but that's a matter of, you know, what you're uh, going to sacrifice. If you want to be a professional football player, a high-level football player, you may have to sacrifice that for the time being. But you can always go back to school, um, get, you know, whatever degree, go back to school at your own, you know, expense later on. So I think 
you know, that's part of making a sacrifice and what you want to, you know, accomplish. Lewis takes issue with Rosen. Absolutely. I, I think he's – I think – the, the side where he may be right is there are kids who get into the universities because they play football who otherwise may not have gotten admitted initially. And really, though, it comes down to what do you want to accomplish once you're there? Paying college athletes. What do you think? Very, very complicated issue on the surface. They do a lot. They bring in a lot of revenue. So you think you want to pay them. But in this country, everything's about equity. And if there are many universities out there whose athletic departments are in the red already. Um, and so if you start paying football players, that means you got to start cutting sports for everybody else. And if you're going to pay football players, you got to play basketball, baseball, you know, women's volleyball, and those sports don't make money. So how do you pay them? So it's not as cut and dry as, well, they bring in money and let's pay them because a lot of these athletic departments are uh, in the red. And so if the University of Washington's in the, in the black, we can pay them. Washington State's in the red. Their athletes can't be paid. Now you have an uneven play. Could field. get more complicated. It's, it's extreme, extremely complicated complicated unionizing how do you feel about this effort to unionize unionize college football and college athletes i think if the universities would do what's right especially as it relates to um taking care of players who get hurt and and long-term um health concerns with athletes if they do what's right in that area and make sure these student athletes are graduating and they're attending class and academics are focused if you do those things there's no real need to unionize in my opinion um i think those thoughts are coming out of the fact that they still don't do a lot of things right. There are student athletes who get hurt playing in college and they don't have any long-term medical care for the injuries that they receive playing college football. And that's a big issue for me. I think that college football really needs to take a long, hard look at. And I, neither of these issues are going away, are they? No, they're not going away. The student athletes are smart enough now to know uh, that uh, they bring in these revenues for the universities. Um, the university athletic departments are bringing in a lot of money, although they're spending a ton of money too. Uh, but the football and the basketball athletes typically are the ones bringing in the lion's share. And the universities, though, are using that money to create sports for the other teams. And that's where the revenues are really being spent. Greg, this could dramatically alter and change mm -hmm. college football as we know it today. How do you feel about the idea of the National Football League setting up a minor league professional system similar to what Major League Baseball has? You know, um, up until this point, the only way to play in the NFL is to go to college and play college football. Uh, I think if the NFL set up a system like that, it would – Definitely impact college football, but college football would still survive. I mean, it would still continue to go on, but it would give the folks who don't have the opportunity to get into college and play college football a route to the NFL that they don't currently have. There are a lot of great football players out there who unfortunately academically aren't strong enough to get into college and they never make it to the NFL because of that. So that would give, in essence, a whole nother cadre of athletes an opportunity to get to the NFL. You seem pretty favorable that idea. Um, Somewhat, you know, it, it would be, you know, a, a, a blow to college football, definitely. Um, but I just think it would open up more opportunities for more people. What would Greg Lewis do if you were the NCAA president? What are some reforms you would try to enact? 
Well, again, I, I go back to the health care for student-athletes. I know a lot of guys I played college football with that sustained injuries when they were playing, and those injuries are lifelong, and they still suffer from those things to this day, and it's you know debilitating to some degree. But unless it's catastrophic, the NC2A colleges bear no responsibility for their continued health care coverage or um, anything in that matter. So I think that's number one. Um, I think they've addressed a lot of the issues around uh, graduation and college rates by instituting rules that keep universities from uh, having their full uh, uh, bevy of scholarships and playing in bowls if they don't graduate their student athletes. So they've addressed those issues. Uh, this whole pay thing, um, I think they do need to increase uh, what they. Uh, I, and, 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 and I'm trying to think of it in a creative way, but the stipends that college athletes get monthly um, just for room and board, they do need to find a way to increase that a little bit without going to a place where they can't keep it um, sustainable for every university and for every university athlete. A lot of scholarship kids, Greg, have little money. Yeah, universities. Uh, I, I was one of them. You sure. know, I ate a lot sure. of top ramen and those kinds of things. Uh, but I do know if the football players are given $5,000 a month at the University of Washington, then we have a competitive advantage over the schools that can't pay that because they don't have the revenue. So you think, Greg, not trying to put words in your mouth, but you think that enhancing, increasing stipends mm -hmm. could be done in lieu of paying athletes. Yeah, and in, in a way where it's sustainable for athletic departments. You know, revenues go up and down. You know, the University of Washington um, was successful in football in the 90s, and they were bringing in tons of money. Well, they had a dip in the 2007 through 2012-ish, and there we were in the red. And so how do you pay the athletes at that point? This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff with Greg Lewis as my special guest. Greg, a big issue that's come up in football, and make sure I'm pronouncing the medical term correctly, is chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTA, a degenerative, dis degenerative disease as a result of getting football players getting hit mm -hmm. in the head too much. Mm -hmm. Greg, as a father and grandfather, mm -hmm. do you want any of your children and grandchildren or nephews playing football well i have a son myself who's only six years old now and he hasn't indicated that he wants to play football and that's fine with me he if he never brings it up i certainly will never bring it up if he fell in love with the game of football and really wanted to play i would let him play but i would try to make sure that he was safe as possible by putting him in the right type of program um, making sure that the coaches and the trainers in that program follow the procedures and get him the best equipment and everything that I can do. Um, but, you know, I've been touched by this disease myself. You know, I've been screened um, in the only screenings that you can do, and I certainly have uh, some symptoms. And so I wouldn't necessarily encourage my son to do it, but if he really wanted to, I would allow him because football, as much as I may be suffering from some of these symptoms, has added benefit to my life tenfold. So I, I, I sometimes it just has to be the good outweighs the bad. Greg, there right now is, is a proposed $1 billion class action settlement mm -hmm. with, between NFL players and the NFL. Some of the players, Greg, want to opt out of the settlement or yeah. former players on the ground the class action settlement is not fair and they want to pursue their own direct claims against the NFL. Do you have any thoughts on whether this proposed class action settlement is a good deal for the players? Well, I don't necessarily think it's a good deal for the players. Nothing that the NFL does and agrees to is ever going to be a good deal for the players. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the collective bargaining agreement when I played, the one now nor this settlement, but I will honestly say at this stage in my life, I'm willing to 
be a part of the settlement because I don't want to go on a lifelong fight against the NFL, which I know these things can, with the NFL, be a lifelong fight. Are you part of the settlement, Greg? Yes, I am. Oh, you are? I am part of the settlement. um, But I have had other legal issues with the NFL since the time that I left uh, back in 1995. And... They will fight you to the end, and I don't have the stamina to take on the NFL and fight to the end at this point. It's a sports industrial complex, right, Greg? Yeah, it is. And the NFL, you know, you can't outspend them. You can't outlawyer them. Um, they're down at the NFL headquarters just printing up money in the basement. So, you know, it's a fight that I think to some degree, and I hate to put it this way, that individuals can't win against the NFL. Interesting. So your, your take overall, Greg, is it may not be a perfect settlement, but you think it's viable enough considering the circumstances? I think um, it's something. You know, um, the NFL is very reluctant to concede anything ever. Um, so I think it is something uh, that we fought for to this point. And for some guys, it will make a difference, not necessarily for everybody. And no, it is not um, – the, the best settlement in the world, I don't know what that settlement would even look like, you know, knowing that there are, you know, thousands of former players who played who suffered from that particular disease. So it, it's just one of those things where, you know, we got to – this might be the best deal we're going to get. Greg, with this head injury issue being a front-page story all the time in American media, what's going to happen in the game of football 30, 40, 50 years from now? Um, America loves football. And I don't think football is going anywhere. I think if you look at the most recent reports, youth involvement in football is actually going up um, in tackle football and in flag football. Um, I was just listening to a report earlier today uh, that from the age of 6 to 14, there are more people participating in football now than there was 10 years ago. Didn't know that. And also high school. Uh, in, in high school, football is still the most participated sports. Now the football team is the biggest team, but you still have more players participating in football. Although uh, I've just taken on the assistant coaching job at Franklin High School this year uh, at, at the encouragement of some friends of mine as an assistant coach, and you wouldn't be able to tell that out there because our numbers are very low at and Franklin At the beginning, I mentioned you're a youth coach, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Greg, you, you mentioned a little about NFL leave. Uh, legal issues. I had Bill North on on my show the mm-hmm. other week. I know you know Bill. He's yes. a former Major League Baseball player. We talked about some of the baseball labor issues. Right. And as you alluded to a minute ago, um, there's been the NFL has had their labor issues. When you play in the early '90s, there was a big antitrust claims the players uh, pursued dealing with NFL free agency limitations. There was mm-hmm. eventually a, a settlement. In the early 90s. Do you have any thoughts on the NFL labor situation when you played in the early 90s? Well, when I played, um, it was, uh, put it this way, they, as much as it's not a great deal now, it's a lot better than when I was playing. When I was playing, uh, free agency was really restricted, um, but also the um, the uh, retirement and the pension was, I don't know who ever got a pension before. Is it better you know, now? That era. It's a lot better now. When I was playing, you had to play four years in order to be vested in a pension, and then you can only collect, obviously, at retirement age. Well, the average career length was, wasn't was quite four years, and guys were actually dying at an age uh, that was pre-retirement age. So Terrible. I don't know who the hell was ever getting a pension. Terrible. If you weren't qualifying for it and you were dying before you could get it. So I think that was one big issue that they did address. So now you're vested in two years, six games, I believe is what it is, um, which and that's the average career length for a lot of positions. And also um, there's a 401k that you can contribute to, and there you can actually take that money out earlier than retirement Interesting. age. Gene Upshaw passed away in 2008. Damara Smith took over mm-hmm. as the player's 
union chief in 2009. How, how has Smith been different than Upshaw, if at all? Um, I don't know DeMar Smith well enough to know, and I haven't been involved in the labor issues recently. I do know there was almost like a running joke that um, Upshaw was really hired and put in place by the owners so that he could keep uh, you know, working with them. I've heard that sentiment our, before. Yeah, keep our, our, our labor uh, deals uh, squarely on the owner's side. The, the biggest thing about football to me that is really preventative for players being fairly compensated is the salary cap. It's a hard cap in football. So what that means is teams can only spend X number of dollars. If a guy gets hurt, you know, five guys get hurt. You can't just go out and replace them with five other guys because right. you're still limited by the salary cap. That's why there's no guaranteed contracts, and, you know, very limited in, in a very limited scope. And, you know, the, the uh, salaries are only really reserved for the top 15% of the guys on the team and everybody else is making, you know, a, a much, much smaller salary because of the salary cap. So as long as they have that in place, NFL players will always struggle. This is Paul Schneiderman on Sports and Stuff with Greg Lewis. Diversity. Are there enough minorities? There's a thought that there's not enough minority coaches and executives. Do you have any thoughts, Greg, on the whole NFL diversity issue? Yeah, um, they're getting a little better, but realistically speaking, um, the Everybody, you know, is more comfortable with people who looks like them. So most of the owners, as long as the owners are all old white guys, you know, most of the time they're going to hire folks that they're comfortable with, they're familiar with, that speak their language. And then there's not really a a system that's in place that's good enough uh, to recruit and train and prepare folks. Now, I am excited about the hirings that have been done recently. As a matter of fact, a guy named Anthony Lynn just took over as head coach. Uh, I believe it's either the Jets or the Bills. I can't remember which one, but Anthony Lynn, and I played with him with the Denver Broncos, and at that time, he never talked about aspirations to be a head coach, but now he's a head coach in the NFL, and he's just he was just a journeyman running back like myself. So I think there is some progress that's being made, um, but I think um, when until the ownership becomes diverse, then we'll struggle with having a real equitable diversity amongst coaches. All right, Greg, I a tough subject for you. Colin Kaepernick, there's mm-hmm. a feeling he's getting blackballed by the NFL owners because of his beliefs and actions. Do you believe that's the case? I think it plays a role, absolutely. I think it comes down to if Colin Kaepernick was, um, I don't know, think of who's, if he was uh, Tom Brady and he had done that, he'd still be playing in the NFL because he's just too good regardless of what he's doing you know, to have to sit out. But I think with his – there's only a certain number of teams that are going to play with his particular skill set. And so when you shrink the NFL down to that you know, number of teams because of the type of style of quarterback he is, and then out of those who don't, who don't have a good starting or backup quarterback, so now you've narrowed it down. Now if there's only three or four teams that he really fits in and you got three or four owners who are like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that, then that becomes – part of the issue uh, with Colin Kaepernick. So I do believe that his stance on this whole issue around not standing for the national anthem because of his protest of how African-Americans are treated in this country, especially as it relates to law enforcement, is becoming a big part of why he's not playing. You don't you don't buy the, the NFL spin that Kaepernick has just not been able to work out a contract with, with teams? You know, you can spin it any way you want, but if Colin Kaepernick didn't have that stance that he took, he would be somewhere right now. Many players, including Kaepernick, have decided to not stand during the national anthem as a form of protest. What's your take on that type of protest, Greg? Well, I think that that type of protest is everyone's right. 
Um, what I think is, is now it needs to go beyond that. We need to sit down, talk about what are the goals of the protest? What do we want to see as the outcomes of the protest? Bring multiple people to the table on both sides, um, get engaged in the community. And then once we sort of figure out what the goals are, then set some demands out there. You know, what are we going to do until these demands are met? It can't just be we're going to sit down while the national anthem is being played until these goals are met. There needs to be some tangible, you know, sort of repercussions uh, based on what the goals that we want to get out of this are and then really move some progress forward. You know, during the civil rights movement, it wasn't that we're not going to we're going to sit at these we're going to sit at the lunch counters and, you know, until we just feel like we don't want to anymore. They were actually asking for laws to be changed and those kinds of things. But you knew exactly what the goal was. So I think these players need to get together and figure out, OK, what are the goals we need to see achieved in order for us to end our protest? Do you think the players Greg, this generation are more activists in style than, say, the players of the Generation X era when you played? Yeah, most recently now they are. I think Generation Xers, guys are just trying to economically, you know, get out of, you know, uh, of, of being, you know, in underprivileged economic situations, trying to make a living, support their family, send their kids to college. I think um, now there's more of an understanding that that in and of itself doesn't make a lot of change. There actually has to be global change. So guys are willing to get involved. Um, you know, it would have been there was there was a generation where you had your Muhammad Ali's and your Jim Browns and, true. and and your Kareem Abdul Jabbar's and then you sort of had a dearth, you know, guys with power like Michael Jordan didn't really ever say much, didn't really take any stand. But I think that was how society was in a whole. The civil rights movement kind of gave a pacifier. People got passive. Didn't Jordan have some fun, famous line, the Republicans buy Nikes too? Yeah. So, you know, it was more about that. But I think the country was pacified and passive during that era where now um, with all the you know, video and seeing guys being murdered or being treated wrong and still nothing happening, that America's forced people into action. Greg, we're getting pretty close to being finished here. It's been a great round robin of subjects. I have to have you back to discuss these, some of these issues more comprehensively. If Greg Lewis was NFL commissioner, mm -hmm. what would Greg Lewis do as NFL commissioner? Well, as NFL commissioner, his job is to work for the owners. Very true. So I think, you know, his, he's doing a great job for the owners because they're printing money over there. That's a great um, answer, by the way. Yeah. Uh, if, if he was working for the betterment of the entire league, um, there would be some serious adjustment to the salary cap. The players would get a higher percentage of the revenues um, and including all buckets. That's gate sales, the television revenue, the NFL properties, all of those buckets of money and making sure that the players got the lion's share of, or, or a higher share than what they're getting right now. Would you ever want to be part of the union executive committee? Probably not. You know, <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of fighting. Um, it's, is is I don't I don't know necessarily that there's a win-win in all of that, and inevitably there's going to be another work stoppage when this NFL agreement works. Uh, NFL agreement comes out next, so uh, it it would be a tough job. Very very tough job, no doubt about it. Did you feel that Goodell's done a good job as commissioner? Again, for the owners, he's doing a great job. For the players, uh, not so much. He's keeping uh, – he has done this, though. He's, he's increased the revenues. He's increased the television contracts, the television money, and all those things. So there's more money being made in the NFL right now. He just needs to uh, do a better job and allow the players to make a higher percentage of it. Greg, it's just been great to have you on the show, and I really enjoy hearing your take mm -hmm. on all these sports issues and – I'd love to have you back and talk about some more of these issues later. Thanks for having me, Paul. I appreciate it. I had a good time anytime. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg.